0: Welcome back to the Punks Unite podcast where we discuss health and wellness practices for those of you who are looking to find balance in both body and mind but don't feel that you fit into the mainstream ideas of what it means to be fit and healthy. Hey everyone, I'm Jo, and I am a real advocate for promoting body positivity, celebrating individuality, and through the stories of others, sharing self-care practices so that we can learn from other people's experience, gain insight and knowledge, to be able to live our happiest and healthiest lives. Get ready to embrace your inner rebel and prioritize your mental and physical well-being hit the subscribe button and turn notifications on so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. I always hate saying that part. It is such a mouthful. But if you enjoy what I do and you find it useful, then subscribe, turn notifications on so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. In today's episode, we dive deep into the personal story of Jenny Barcelos, who is an individual that has been navigating the complexities of long COVID. Now, Jenny uh, has multiple roles. She is an attorney, a parent, an artist. She's also a co founded a number of organizations, including the one that I work for, Marvelous Software and Anchi Coaching Co, Uh, but she's also the co-founder of a climate justice initiative, Three Degrees Warmer. Now, in this episode, Jenny shares with us uh, how she manages long COVID. She shares some strategies with us, some insights, some resources, and she also highlights the challenges that people face with long COVID and the societal skepticism of the illness jenny really serves as the reminder that the you know that humans aren't just statistics and it underscores the fact and the importance that we need to support each other uh, during these challenging times there are lots of uh, challenges that we're facing as humans from um, many different angles and really working together as a community And sharing our knowledge and sharing what we find out so that people can take that information and research more into it and actually take back the power of and the control of our own health and well-being so without further ado let's jump into this week's episode Okay, so welcome, Jenny, to the Punch Night podcast. I'm really thrilled to have you here. Um, Now, I know you very well, but if you wouldn't mind taking a few moments to introduce yourself to the audience, that would be fabulous. Sure. Thank you, Joe, for having me on your podcast. Um, So my
1: name is Jenny Barcelos. I am American, and I know Joe because we work together, and I... I'm on this podcast you invited me on because I have a three-plus-year-long experience with dealing with long COVID, and so that's what I'm here to talk about.
0: Thank you, Jenny. Now, we've spoken about this just casually off and on, but I just want to set the scene a little bit. You got COVID right at the beginning, Yes. didn't you? Like even almost yeah. before they knew the yes. extremity of what the um, situation was.
1: Yes. Uh, so my belief is that I had the original alpha wave or the Wuhan wave of COVID, which was terrible and devastatingly, like it made you devastatingly sick, kind of the worst flu you could imagine. So I know that COVID's evolved a lot in the last few years and with the Delta and Omicron, but this, the wave that I had, I was the sickest by far that I've ever been in my life. And what sort of symptoms did you experience? Do you remember? Yeah, I couldn't breathe. And um, so I, I remember the exact onset of it. I was um, sitting at my desk, just a normal middle of the work day, just in my house in my home office. And all of a sudden I started feeling chills. And then like, like I started, my body started shaking. And so I messaged, Um, Sandy, who we also work with. And I said, I think I'm getting sick. I'm going to go lie down. And I went and I like couldn't even make it upstairs to the rest of my house. I like laid downstairs and I think I kind of fell asleep for a few minutes and I just woke up like trembling and um, I just kind of crawled to the bathtub. I have a bathtub in my downstairs that like we don't use that room. And I just ran a bath and I kind of sat in there and I think I was going in and out of consciousness. So that was my first symptom, and then I developed like the really bad COVID cough. And I'm sure um, if I had not lived on a remote island and that's only accessible by boat or small airplane, I would have gone to the hospital. But it's mm-hmm. like a, it's a helicopter ride and like a hundred thousand dollars basically to go to the hospital like that, or a ferry. And so my husband just was home. He got home at some point. I don't remember exactly what happened, and he was just trying to take care of me, and then. I went to sleep and I woke up and I was like struggling to breathe. I did not have a pulse oximeter at that time. I now have two that I keep in my house like most of us have. But um, I'm sure my oxygen was terrible. And then I woke up to like the worst headache of my life to like it felt like someone was hitting me in the head with a hammer to the point where I was like sobbing trying to open my eyes to wake up.
0: And at this point, did you know that it was COVID? Like, did No, you no, suspect, we didn't know COVID you just existed. It was, yeah, so you didn't no, know.
1: no, no. So I will just say, so I was living near Seattle. And that was the place in the United States that had the first documented cases, was in and around Seattle. And my husband worked at Amazon in the corporate headquarters at the time. And his team was flying back and forth constantly to China. So he had people in his office that were very sick and he had the guy he sat next to actually he told me um he was like coughing really bad and the guy had said that someone in his family had just died from this like terrible cough
0: oh my gosh yeah Although oh, it's so, I mean, terrifying like p- like it's terrifying now <laughs> knowing yeah. it from the like we're on the other side but at the time like completely not actually knowing what this was and people just dying of a cough Thank so God. to speak
1: Yeah. Thank God I didn't know. And thank God, like, I didn't get put on a ventilator because I think that would have like, you know, that I believe that Mm. that was a death sentence for most people. So, Mm. um, you know, to get the medicine remdesivir, I think was really dangerous. And um, that was a medication that we now know had been pulled for safety issues for other illnesses.
0: Oh, so, um, yeah, I didn't then, I didn't know that because I was yeah. about to say, OK, can you explain this a little bit more? Because I know you've done a lot of research around yeah, this as and well. I, I don't so. know.
1: I don't know that I'm going to remember all of it exactly right now because I didn't like pr- prep the research. It's been a lot of years now, but mm-hmm. um, I think that it was being tested for Ebola, if I'm not correct, and that it was uh, being pulled for safety reasons. Uh-huh. Like it was too dangerous to give Ebola patients. And so we gave it to COVID patients on ventilators. So wow. anyway, I'm very grateful I never went into the hospital.
0: Yeah. I actually remember now when, because I was meant to come over and visit mm-hmm. and I was still so determined that I was yeah. going to come over to the U.S. and and visit and meet you because uh, for the listeners, Jenny and I have worked together for like three or four years, but we've never met each other in person. Yeah, almost four years. That <laughs> was right before years. COVID actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so... And so, yeah, and so, uh, it was, uh, one of those things I really wanted to do, but Jenny was very adamant that Seattle was bad and do not come over. So yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So Jenny, have you ever had any, um, respite from the symptoms from like any period? Cause I know that you still have symptoms now and we'll talk about those in a, in a little bit, but have you ever had times when you sort of felt back to normal?
1: Yeah. I mean, normal is different now. So
0: mm-hmm. I, it's hard.
1: It's three and a half years later. So yes, from like those acute COVID symptoms, those went away for me after about three months. And, and what, then, were, what were they again? So like, oh, so I um, I had a really bad cough. like I had mm-hmm. a really hard time breathing. I'm sure I was not getting enough oxygen. In fact, I got a pulse oximeter right around when the lockdown started in March of 2020, March, April, and my oxygen was really quite low. So I was I was struggling to get enough oxygen and I had um, it was like unlike any other cough. And I did at some point go to our local clinic and I had a chest x-ray and, you know, they they don't know what to do. Um, My I consulted three different doctors, um, both locally to my island, but we don't have a hospital. And then also online through a major kind of medical network in the U.S. And I was told I had covid and like clinically, even though there were, they were not testing early on people in my age group, they were only testing um, elderly people. Mm. So they said if I really was adamant about wanting to be tested, I could go off island, go to a hospital and like sit in an emergency room and ask to be tested. But there was no promise that I would receive a COVID test. And then also they said I would be exposing myself, you know, to <laughs> the current virus. Mm. And um, and my family. So I just stayed. And so I was given a clinical diagnosis of having had COVID mm-hmm. um, through telehealth appointments. And yeah, so the, the, but my breathing started to improve. I would, after three months, like I said, I was fine. And then um, I was probably like pretty fine for two weeks. And then the fever started. So I would like, you know, and that's kind of how this works is I I kind of go through a wave of symptoms. Those symptoms seem to resolve and then like sort of new symptoms appear.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like another layer of like now that must be that must um really kind of mess with your daily routine. Cause you're kind of thinking yeah. that you're yeah, better, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Well, sort of better. I mean, we were, you know, so it was winter
0: Mm -hmm. and,
1: um, the lockdowns happened. And Mm -hmm. so like life right around when I was getting quote unquote better, life was very disrupted and, you know, um, our company exploded (laughs) at that time and we were very busy working kind of around the clock. So, you know, um, I do, I do remember that I was still struggling to like walk very far. Like I wasn't, exercising in any real way and wasn't none of us were leaving the house right so mm-hmm. I was but even just kind of like walking around my house I felt more tired and um, and then the fever started and then the fever has lasted yeah. basically on and off forever I mean they I had a very long intense fever for a 100 days it was like exactly 100 days and then the fever broke and then it's been intermittent kind of low-grade fevers for three years now.
0: And you also um, suffered with stuff with your heart as well. Was that yeah, at the same yeah. time as the fever? Or is this like another layer of the experience? So, or
1: Yeah, so um, another layer. And I don't believe it's actually my heart. So from, right. yeah, at this point, what my doctors think is that that was all neurological. So yes, it was like uh-huh. expressing as an issue with my heart, but it wasn't actually an issue with my heart. It was more that my brain neurologically was not, Giving my heart the right signals. It wasn't that my heart was damaged. Like in COVID, we hear a lot about myocarditis and these like heart issues that people Mm -hmm. are having. And to the best of my knowledge, that's not what I'm experiencing. I was experiencing neurological damage that was um, showing up as in some and as one of the ways it's been showing up is as a heart issue. But those um, my neurological symptoms are are, are quite a bit better. I'd still have some issues with my vision, but yeah, it's like this weird.
0: <laughs> That's so strange. Mm-hmm. It's so, so that, strange.
1: Yeah. So that for people that don't know, we, I didn't know, I'm sure, you know, Joe, cause you know this a lot about this stuff, but <laughs> we have this autotomic nervous system, Uh, nervous system, Yeah, where this is like the part, our brain telling our body to do all the things that we don't have to think about, like breathe and our heartbeats and like blood flows. And like, we don't have to consciously make those decisions to say heartbeat. So that, that my, my way of thinking about it from talking to my neurologists a bunch about it is that like my autonomic nervous system, my brain was like, just sort of like misprogramming that system and giving it the wrong signals. And so it was like doing the wrong things. So that affected my heart and it affected my brain in terms of my vision. Um, so that's an ongoing issue also is that like, it created like lots of waves of vertigo and, um, I have a really intense, sensitivity to certain kinds of movement or being in certain spaces where there's movement around me. So like a, mm-hmm. a big grocery store yeah. is like very challenging for me still. So I any, I have a solution for that, which I've just <laughs> figured out. So I can function now. Yeah. But it's like, it's, you know, duct taped together and not with the help of modern medicine at all.
0: <laughs> no, it sounds it sounds like you've adapted to... the the condition in which you're in so that you can actually function in day-to-day life? Mostly. In some way.
1: Mostly. Um, I still don't like leaving the house by myself because I don't know when neurological symptoms are going to appear and I it's frightening if I'm driving or something. Yeah. I still do it, but I don't, you know, I never before COVID had any fear of Going anywhere by myself, or I, I just don't like. I'm very afraid of going far away or doing something that's um, like going to take me many hours of time away from mm-hmm. my, from like my husband. Or you know, if 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 I'm with a close friend or something, it's fine. But I'm just like yeah. I don't want some stranger. If something happens, I don't want them to rely on a stranger to know what to do.
0: This is a bit left field, but it's just a curiosity. Um, yeah. In the U.S., do you have uh, wrist tags for like people yeah. who have like diabetes yeah. or epilepsy and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I don't have a wrist tag.
0: No, no, I'm not saying <laughs> you need one. Some <laughs> people have them, yes. I'm not saying you need, need one. I probably should it's have just, one. <laughs> it was just a thought that came into my head because often, <laughs> and I know we've dug the site getting a bit sidetracked a little bit, yeah. but you know, whenever we have conversations, we all of a sudden yeah. realize that what yeah. you do in the U.S. is different from what we do in the yeah, U.K. No, or Australia and vice versa. Yeah. So I was I just curious. Yeah, I don't
1: I don't think there like is any official system like you would go buy that yourself on Amazon and then it's just on your wrist in case, yeah,
0: you know, an yeah. ambulance
1: comes or something. They yeah, can see that. yeah, I
0: just re- I just remember learning about it in primary school, like to be uh-huh. aware that people have yeah. these and, you know, if somebody does collapse, have a look for it because that will help you to be able to help the person, basically. So I was just curious. yes.
1: Yes. And I'm thankfully not afraid of collapsing. I'm more afraid of my vision going out, which happens intermittently, like very rarely now, but it, it sort of just goes away. My, it's like, everything is so scary, extremely blurry for minutes or longer. Like I think the longest it's ever happened is like around 40 minutes. And then it's just, but it's so blurry that yeah. I mean, you couldn't, I couldn't drive a car, you know, like I couldn't see everything was so blurry. So I've had to pull over on the side of the road before when that's happened. And I don't, Out, it's like out of nowhere, my vision just disappears. And I've been to optometrists, ophthalmologists, you know, just like all the people. And I'm like, yeah. your eyes are fine. I'm like, mm, not fine, <laughs> but it's <laughs>
0: well, it's not my eyes, right? It's so, not your eyes, Cher. Yeah, it's the, yeah. uh, it's the, uh, um, Uh, the messages that are going to your eyes by the sounds Mm -hmm. of it from the brain.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's That's what I think. And that's what my neurologist thinks. So, yeah.
0: I mean, I like, I haven't done like any study specifically on COVID, but all the study that I've done around the nervous system and the gut brain connection and everything like that, it is, and like anxiety and depression, like so much of it relates to how the messages are being sent from those systems to one another and if there's a disruption and because the brain learns patterns as soon as something gets like happens like repetitively the brain goes right that's what we're doing now and then you have to unlearn that and that is incredibly difficult potentially not even possible in some cases um, let me give you this really
1: interesting example, Joe. In case people are like, "What the hell is this person talking about?" <laughs> sure. So, so if I'm driving, one of the things that triggers my that I've noticed triggers my brain to misfire is if I'm on a bridge, and like if I'm in a car on a bridge. Yeah. So it's just something where I can't see like the horizon. If the bridge is going up and over it, or it's cur. If I'm on like a curve of a road. Mm-hmm um and i cannot see far enough into the horizon like everything kind of goes haywire for me wow. <laughs> and i stop being able to function like it's very dangerous this happened has happened to me now probably a dozen times when i'm driving mm. and in the mountains or over a bridge and i like mm. i can't see where i'm going all of a sudden and i start then i pa- then i start to panic and shake mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. very unsafe right because i'm driving mm. Mm -hmm. usually a big vehicle on Mm -hmm. a fast road and I can't function. And um, so something, and this is the same thing that happens to me in in like big grocery stores, not in like little markets or a little shop, but in a, in a a big store where there's wide aisles and lots of people moving around me and like colors up to the ceiling and stacks of the same things, something Mm -hmm. happens. So what I have figured out in like the last couple months is that, and i figured this out by accident is that if i put earplugs in the neurological mm. symptoms don't trigger at all so i know it's like a it's a that sensory so neurological issue. right so i drive now actually in the last couple months with earplugs in, and they're the kind that don't totally block out all the sound yeah, but just yeah, kind of yeah. muffle i've got some and yeah and and so the Loop earplugs are the ones I use. But yeah, like
0: the Loop earplugs that I use as well.
1: They're really good. So, but now not like I have none of these symptoms and I notice it if I if I go into a grocery store or like Target which we have here in our country. Um if I don't put my earplugs in I start to have like the dizziness and the waves of things like flying by me that aren't flying by me and I put them mm-hmm. in and it just stops and I'm totally functional. And wow. so I don't know. So I feel like I've, I figured something out. I don't know if I have yeah. to do this the rest of my life, but I'm based. And so now I feel like I could go on a road trip or go to a big store by myself and not feel like I'm going to pass out or like lose my vision. Um, but like, that's like, what the hell did this disease do?
0: Well, I you know, it's, like, it's, why is that happening? It's so interesting that you bring that up. Because one of the things, um, again, that I do, and then I share with other people is While I use my loop earplugs for gigs and playing gigs and stuff like that, I actually use them or my Apple AirPods when I go grocery shopping and I have Uh anxiety Uh because it, and I look at the ground, it sounds like, and I did it, I did it, I think earlier this week and I just look at the ground because if I, and you might, you might think that's strange because I go to festivals and I go to gigs, but sometimes I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't look at the people. I have to ask when I play that they don't have the white flashing light. It's not a strobe light. It's just because it disorients me and then triggers my anxiety. So it's really interesting Hmm. about the whole audible and visual thing potentially Hmm. having a connection with how our brain and our nervous system is working. Yeah. yeah. I my
1: hypothesis is maybe just that there's inflammation around like the vagus Mm -hmm. nerve or something Mm -hmm. in the brain that is just causing things to like not be able to fire or function properly. Mm -hmm. Um, I do. I mean, this is a whole other conversation. (laughs) I have a like a very detailed spreadsheet of that's 70 lines long of all of the medicines and supplements and herbs. A lot Mm -hmm. like I think two out of 70 are prescription medicines and the rest are natural herbs or supplements that I, that I take and I've taken over the last, and this is only in the last maybe six months, like before this, I have like giant Tupperware containers oh, filled yeah. with, saying. Yeah. filled with these things, which is, which also like can create other problems, right? If you're taking this many. So now I like track how many of each thing I take so they can try to match What's working, but I, if I take something that's known to be anti-inflammatory, I also tend to be fine. Like I, I you mm-hmm. know, I don't know enough. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a doctor. No, but I'm not you're testing with your own body. Like yeah, you're it's my investigating. But if I take yeah. if I take something that is a known anti-inflammatory, I'm
0: mm-hmm. pretty much
1: fine. So I'm like, there's probably just a bunch of inflammation in my brain, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if I'm not actively managing it, this these side effects can happen when I'm put. In these certain situations,
0: yeah, but I, of it's, course,
1: it's probably not unlike anxiety. Like I just, I don't well, know that if it's, it's a anything nervous system different. System
0: thing. I'm not sure. Like it's just, I mean, and, yeah, it's, yeah it's these crazy. are all things that we just have names for. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That they're not all just the same thing? And how people also experience all of these things, whether it's long COVID or anxiety or depression, yeah. it's very different for each person. And people love to try and put it into a box. And I genuinely think that's unhelpful, which is yeah, why it's really I really great it's to me that up. you're yeah, you're you're doing your thing, you're looking at your mm-hmm. body, you're working out your things within reason, I imagine. You're not doing any ex- anything extreme, or maybe you are. I um, might be <laughs> to be honest, but yeah. I mean, I, sure. I am
1: I am in like a lot of sort of alternative medicine Facebook groups, which I think can create a lot of anxiety to be yeah. sort of immersed in these these places. Yeah. So I, um, but I also think these, and you've probably heard me say this before, Joe, that these communities are also like, I don't know what I would have done in the last three years without them. Like to see, because when lots of times when I've gone to the doctor, I have been told like I, that it might be anxiety or that it's mental or just go take an aspirin, go take a baby aspirin. I mean, that's what I was told. I woke up one day (laughs) in 2021 and my tongue was numb and my fingers and toes were numb. I went immediately on... And my heart rate was like 120 beats per minute when I woke up. Oh I went into like a telehealth. Like I immediately... My husband like jumped and we opened the telehealth because it was still... Things were locked down very much. Mm-hmm. But I, I was like, do I go to the doctor? So I went on to so the telehealth. I had an emergency appointment that like within 10 minutes, the doctor who saw me online said, you need to go to the emergency room right now because my husband was explaining what was going on. And I was explaining the best I could, but my tongue was numb. And um, and so I'm like, well, I'm on a remote island. So me going to the emergency room means me calling a helicopter right now. And mm-hmm. we have helicopter insurance for two different kinds of helicopters in case this happens. Mm-hmm. You have to living on a remote island, but it still like wipes out your family financially if this happens. Of course. So I like, you yeah. don't take that lightly. And, yeah. um, and my husband was home for two and a half years, like largely taking care of me and our daughter. So I was, I was just like, okay, well I'm going to try to go to the clinic. I told my husband, like, let's just go to the clinic, which is five minutes down the road. And like, if they also think I need to get helicoptered out, they can handle it and manage it. And then, you know, at least someone will have seen me in person. Mm -hmm. And like, what if I pass out or whatever? So we rushed to the clinic. They got me seen by the doctor that was on shift. And there's usually like one doctor from eight to five on shift. And they trade um, and a lot of like sort of semi-retired people work at the clinic. And the doctor was like, "Ah, you're fine. It's probably nothing. You know, if you're worried about blood clots, you know, because everyone's like talking about all these side effects, right? We're now over a year into the pandemic. And I wake up like this all of a sudden and he's like, just take a baby aspirin, just take, just, just long-term for the next year, just take a baby aspirin every day, 81 milligrams and, and, you know, just go rest. And I was like, okay, well, I just had a telehealth appointment with a different doctor and they told me to get on a hill and yeah. and he's like, I don't know. I'm not sure that this isn't just anxiety. And I was like, how would I wake up with no oh finger in my hands? If it's anxiety, like it's not, it's not like I woke up and I'm anxious and I feel a little funny. It's like, I have no feeling in my mouth and in my extremities, which is like a very dangerous. Yeah. You know, so I I mean, in some ways I'm like, I'm grateful that I didn't get helicoptered off because God knows what they would have done to me in the hospital in Seattle. Of course. But at the same time, I just, I also don't trust any of it. I don't think anyone really knows with, especially with a novel illness and, or something that's chronic like this, which is yeah. what, what this is at this point, um, nobody has any idea what it is or how to help. And so yeah. there's different theories and people have different opinions on how those theories work. And I certainly wish I had a better understanding of biology <laughs> so that I could better yeah. understand my body. But at the same time, I also know that I know my body better than any exactly, yeah. institution
0: That, I mean, and part of that I like that I'm hearing as well is also, and people with chronic illnesses must have this quite regularly, potentially, is that dismissive approach to your uh, symptoms, you know, people. And then again, a lot of it does come down to not understanding um, the diversity of a chronic illness, no, no matter what it is, because, you know, they just, they just work off books generally, unless... I don't yeah. know. And, and what like the the literature from the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. studies. Another story. And, yeah. Another yeah, yeah. I mean that's what but that's
1: <laughs> that's the reality, right? So I'm like extremely distrustful at this point. Like I was already like I've always been distrustful of institutions. Like I believe I'm an activist by nature. I believe that we should be challenging and questioning everything always. But like generally speaking, I was the kind of person that like went to all my like yearly physical and like saw my doctor on a regular basis and like got skin check exams every year for skin cancer and mm-hmm. and I'm like extremely vaccinated because I have traveled the world a lot mm-hmm. for for work and for personal reasons so I've had like all of the <laughs> bizarre tropical illness vaccines right like I've, I'm just like I trust the system like quite a lot. I, I trusted it quite a lot. And COVID, I mean, that's not what this podcast is about, Joe, but I'll just say like, I have um, basically no faith in modern medicine mm-hmm. other than if I get in a car accident or like um, get a gunshot wound or, you know, yeah. the need, like need break my arm or something like that. Beyond that, I have um, zero or negative faith in the institution of modern medicine.
0: I suppose it's also the idea of like, um, when you separate the the styles of medicine, and I'm sure there are many of them, but in my head, I think of like surgery and emergency. We yeah. know that those things work. We know that people- yeah, yeah. Thank like, God for those things. Exactly, save lives. exactly. Yeah. But anything that I think is to do with our- systems our internal systems and they just give you antibiotics which i think is i spoke about this in my last episode about the gut brain connection with regards to antibiotics and how you have to be so careful about how it affects your gut and how your gut then gets affects your brain and all of this stuff to me antibiotics are bad but they totally just put that as like a here you go this is what we're going to give you every time or just take a panadol or take a aspirin as you say yeah. So I apologize if you can hear my dog whining in Outside. the background. I don't even <laughs> she's, noticed, uh, I- she's talking, she's talking to me. Um, so you were talking about treatments before and I was curious if there are any treatments that you have found the most useful that you would be willing to share. Yeah, I mean,
1: I'm willing to to share. You might get this taken down wherever you post it, (laughs) but I'm totally willing to share. (laughs) So the one like sort of prescription medication that I take consistently and I've taken since the spring of 2021, as prescribed by a neurologist, is low-dose naltrexone, which is an off-label. Pers- so naltrexone is a drug at 50 milligrams that is taken by people um, who have had a heroin overdose. And it's a it's a drug that's got a really long kind of safety record in the... In, the drug treatment industry, um, Mm -hmm. someone at some point, I actually think in the UK figured out in the nineties that taking extremely low doses, like 0.5 milligrams instead of 50 up to 4.5 can, um, help deal with autoimmune issues. And so, um, which include a lot of neurological issues. So Mm -hmm. people started taking it for MS and people who were bedridden and totally dysfunctional and wheelchair bound started being able to walk and function normally for decades wow. taking this medicine. So I was very scared to take this because it is um, on my record that I take. So it like I got it prescribed by a neurologist, a functional mm-hmm. neurologist, which who's like amazing to, if you can ever find someone like that. She said to help with the neurological issues like the regulating of my heart and my vision. Um, she said this, this is the best thing that we know of that would help you with something like that. So I like hemmed and hawed for a couple of months. You cannot get it from in the U S from a normal pharmacy cause they only make the 50 milligram version for addicts. Um, so I get it from a compounding pharmacy and there's ways you could take the 50 milligram p- pill and put it in water and use syringes to give yourself like a partial dose of it every day. Um, But it's still a little fringe and a lot of doctors won't prescribe it in in lots of countries. Um, And I have to get it. It's very expensive. There's no insurance for this because it's compounded. Um, And most of everything I'm going to talk about, I do out of pocket, like my medical expenses from COVID, almost nothing was covered by medical insurance, which is whole other conversation um Mm -hmm. so that's the medicine that i take every day and i have gone up as high as four and a half milligrams which is considered sort of like the high dose of low dose naltrexone um i found that i started having um pains in my head when i was at that dose so i went down to 0.5 again i've kind of gone up and down throughout the last couple of years but i'm at mostly a three three mg Mm -hmm. dose once a day Um, And I find that so basically the way that the my understanding of the mechanism of action is that I take it's it's like an opioid inhibitor. I take this medicine. It stops my body from naturally producing kind of the feel good chemicals like it blocks the receptors of like. Um, I don't know the chemicals names, but like the, the like dopamine or serotonin or something. And then, so within a couple of hours, my body goes like, Oh no, all these receptors are blocked. We need to up our natural production of these molecules. So it actually causes my body by blocking the receptors to go and make a bunch more of like the feel good and pain relieving chemicals in my body. So I take that. And my neurologist said I would need to be on it. Probably it usually takes people about 18 months mm-hmm. to feel um, like the true benefit of it. And I, then she th- she said, you know, we're dealing with long COVID. We don't really know what this is or how long you'll have to be on it. I'm now past the two year mark and I'm still on it. I like ideally would love not to be on it just mm-hmm. because it's expensive and it's a pharmaceutical and I'd rather not be on anything like that, but, um, at the same time, it's helping me a lot. I notice it when I don't take it. So it makes me functional. Like I don't have the kind of pain that I have, um, and the exhaustion. So, so that is the main pharmaceutical that I'm taking. Mm -hmm. Um, the, I've taken a couple of other things that were prescription early on in COVID. Um, and, sometimes still take ivermectin which i know is like a really bad word (laughs) i don't Um, know what that is what's okay so it is in the in the u.s like there was a big campaign by the fda to prevent people from taking it they called it horse paste um because it's also a veterinary medicine but it won the nobel prize in 2015 Mm -hmm. for humans this medication and um it's like an anti drug. So that's people take it in sub-Saharan Africa and like lots of parts of Asia as wow. a parasite drug. But it also has a lot of other properties to it, including uh-huh. it's like of a course. pretty good anti-inflammatory. And then there's a lot of other things that I don't really understand. Yeah. Um, I took that medicine very aggressively in 2021. And I took it um, then once a, m- once a week for about a year. Um, and then I now take it if I'm feeling like if I start to feel like I'm getting sick or I start to feel my energy drop, I take it and usually I bounce right back. So yeah. It's a very controversial medication. It's banned. I think it's banned in the UK. It's banned in a lot of countries. Um, It was considered an early by a lot of doctors, an early treatment drug for COVID mm-hmm. that would help people stay out of, you know, stay off ventilators. Um there's some, there's a lot of research that goes both ways. Yes, it's helpful. Yes, it is. Or no, it isn't. But it's, it's like generally quite a safe drug. And it's been around for 30 years or more. It was yeah. found in the 80s um, in Japan and then synthesized. And so that's a medication that I have on hand. Um, I'm, I'm that the mention of this word, like, y- if you put this video on YouTube, it'll get probably taken down because that med- that <laughs> medication is very controversial. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, that's keep that in mind. that's one. Um that's the other one. And everything else I take, I mean is like you know, like vitamins or herbs I have. Yeah, I was going to say, do you take probiotics perchance? So, yeah, so there's a very um specific probiotic and I'll just tell you what it's called that ha- like ha- there's a lot of kind of communities of Patients online that have experimented with different probiotics. So the one that I take most frequently is called LP two nine nine V. I take I take that probiotic um, sometimes daily, sometimes you know a couple times a week, and I also take an, and that's by the Jaro brand. It's ten billion CFUs, and I take another one by that brand. Sometimes it has some prebiotics in it as well. Um, I do there is evidence from like the one of the patient groups that i'm in that taking mm. too much of a probiotic like this will cause a herxheimer reaction so you start to have like get very you start to feel very very ill that's where your body is like cleaning out toxic debris but then it go kind of goes into your bloodstream and starts floating around and you start to mm-hmm. physically feel really sick because your mm-hmm. body's processing so you don't want to have like too my understanding is you don't want to have too much of a herxheimer reaction because it causes other problems so you kind of have to Judge and not
0: trigger too much like cleaning inside your body at the same time. That's interesting. Do you know? I think looking that up, that is mm-hmm. the did you say LP299V? Yeah. That is the lactobacillus or bacillus. Uh-huh. And I think that this one is the one that is specific to helping um, ease stress. Huh. I think. Um, there is definitely one that starts with lactobacillus, but I just can't remember if it's, um, plantarium or there is another name Mm. that's interesting. I'll have to, um, look that up properly. Uh, I only discovered that last week when I was, um, doing the episode on the gut brain connection and probiotics and learning that, you know, most of our serotonin is produced in the gut and that's that's why, yeah, yeah, that's why like, if your gut is unhappy, then you might be unhappy, and vice versa. I'm sure it's not that simple, but it's just interesting that one of the the um, probiotics that you actually take is one of these ones that sounds like they specifically focus on easing the stress in the gut.
1: Yeah, I um I will also say there's I just um listened to a YouTube video from a doctor who just published a paper on. The sort of gut impacts of of COVID and the, and the COVID vaccines, basically the gut impacts of the spike protein, mm-hmm. and the spike protein just sort of like decimates like gut bacteria. Wow. It's like it's almost like an antibiotic. Oh so people who have COVID or who've recently had the vaccine, I think that there's like it would be wise to make sure you're you're getting enough kind of um, good bacteria through probiotic. And this doctor tested, I think, 27 or 29 different probiotics and probiotic foods from the mm-hmm. from the grocery store and i think she said only two of them were live like only two of them were functional probiotics oh, wow. so there's also like it's a very hard thing she her recommendation and when she was being interviewed was that you like learn how to make your own because oh, because you know like wow. do your own fermentation make your yeah. own kimchi or your own sauerkraut kefir. Um, because then you know you're getting it if you see this if you see it bubbling Mm. which makes sense right like humans have known this forever like every culture pretty much has a practice like this we just like i mean this is a kind of a tangent joe but we just sort of like deferred our power you know to these institutions or these big food companies or these big nutraceutical companies to sort of handle this for us and it's like even for yoga things like yogurt if you like she was testing all kinds of stuff and it just wasn't The probiotics were gone. They were dead. Yeah. So you're not getting the benefits of them versus if you like, so I also don't know if I'm getting them from these, these pills too, because like what can happen in the mail or if it's too hot and where they're being stored, you just don't know. So it's very, very important. And, um, her, her theory was basically like, this was going to lead to a lot of chronic illness if your gut
0: was um out of balance because of the spike protein. Wow! I definitely want to get into making my own fermented, yeah, products. Um, and, but I am also like, but it's so easy to just tip powder into a cup of water and drink it. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm yeah. gonna get except on with my day,
1: <laughs> except if it's dead. I mean, so we used course, to make yeah. my my husband Nate he. Um, for years made our own we made our own kimchi and our own wow. natural yeah. pickles and did we just bought a jar and then it's you know you do it like once every six months it's kind of an all-day thing yeah but then it's you have a big giant jar that sits out on the counter you don't even put it in the refrigerator oh well, that sounds it just, good i could and it's just like that. a jar of vegetables that are fermented and it's yeah you can tell if it's not good anymore like you can it's also just kind of a natural connection to your food. Also tastes good, you know, tastes better can use the spices you want. And
0: yeah, I know I, I must look into that because it is an area of interest for me for other reasons. Um, and, uh, but I've just never thought about doing it. I just buy the stuff in the jar. And I mean, I love like pickled stuff and kimchi and kombucha and stuff like that. I genuinely enjoy that type of um, flavor. So it's not as if I taste it and think, oh, gross, like it's actually quite good. So Jenny, what advice would you give someone else who's been struggling with long COVID? Like, cause you, you know, just, you've got these support groups that you've been part of that have obviously been incredibly helpful. You've tried a lot of different Avenues to help yourself. Is there anything that you know, anything else that you would like to share for somebody who is maybe struggling with long COVID?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think I, I. And when people do approach me about it, I do recommend that they talk to find a functional neurologist if they can, or a functional doctor, just even like a naturopath or an MD that can prescribe um, medicine to a compounding pharmacy and consider low dose naltrexone. It hasn't doesn't work for everyone. Um, But that I think has made like the most, the biggest difference. And especially if you're acutely ill. I also think this earplug thing is like genius. I wish I had known this and, you know, two years ago because I feel like I've kind of suffered unnecessarily and been dysfunctional. I mean, I'm fine in my house and I seem normal, but if I leave, I'm not like the stimulation Mm. is too much for my brain. And so this Mm -hmm. earplug Mm -hmm. thing really helps. Mm -hmm. Um, I also will say, when I was having the heart issues, one of the other um, pieces of evidence that's come to light, and I was part of a clinical trial for a number of medicines, too, that I'm not going to get it. I won't get into now. But in that community, the doctors that I was I was seeing there were um, very aware early on that people with long COVID, same as with ME-CFS, which is another kind of chronic post-viral disease or illness syndrome, um that raising your heart rate or or um exercising trigger like kind of reinvigorates the bad symptoms and wow. so i was re- i struggled with that like getting your heart above 120 beats per minute or, or around there can trigger an onslaught of, sim- of symptoms and like basically call call what we cause a flare which can cause like, you can be kind of good and pretty, you know, pretty healthy seeming and pretty functional. And -hmm. then you go do a workout or go on a like a really intense bike ride or something. You think Mm -hmm. you're better. And then you can't get out of bed for three months. And this is the kind of thing that we see over and over. So I have made it a practice pretty much every single day for three years to get exercise, but in a way that's super mindful about my heart rate. And I try never to get my, I mean, I'm sure there's like cardiovascular impacts from this, but mm-hmm. I can, I, I feel like I can control these flares by not getting my heart rate too high. Some people I think take it too far where they just don't move around at all and they don't get any exercise. And I think that's just as bad. Mm-hmm. So I try to, you know, at least walk for a few miles a day and I'm very um, aware of my heart rate and I wear something like an Apple watch or something yeah. if I'm at all concerned of what my heart rate is. And if I, if it starts getting high, I immediately back off. Um, So there's, there's an entire Facebook community that I know of, of women who are like managing long COVID with things like Garmin, Garmin watches Mm -hmm. and Apple watches. And like, there's a lot of crowdsourced evidence around how to manage chronic illness like long COVID with those devices, which I think is really cool because yeah, it's great. Mo- medicine isn't, you know, doctors aren't doing this. These are patients yeah. figuring this out themselves. So I think moderate exercise, but keeping your heart rate low and making sure that you're moving. Mm-hmm. I also think sunlight makes a huge difference. And the reason I'm going to say that is because I, for, for the early part of my illness was living in the Pacific Northwest in the United States, which is a really dark, damp, rainy place. Like Mm -hmm. I think probably where you are most of the time, Joe, and
0: bigger droplets,
1: bigger (laughs) droplets when it rains. Yeah. And like, (laughs) it's notorious that people in this part of the world or at this like latitude have very low vitamin D Mm -hmm. when I, and I was taking supplemental vitamin D. That's one of the things I take every day, but I still I still noticed that when my family left and traveled and went to sunnier places, I felt so much better. And I know that there's probably mm-hmm. a mental health impact to that, but there's also Absolutely. some evidence I've seen that it's not just vitamin D. There's like, there's something that happens with the way your body processes energy from the sun that's more complicated than just, you know, taking the vitamin orally or um, under your tongue or something. Um, that there's, that there are other benefits that we might not completely understand of actually being out in the sun. So I try to get at least 30 minutes of sun every morning before wow. the sun comes up too high. That's great. I wish I could do 30 minutes of sun every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what like, <laughs> you know, you can get certain lights to try to emulate this, but of I course, think the yeah. actual sun is so much better And people. Course, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So those are the things that like, just, you know, be a human being, food, water, Good yeah. water, sunlight, like move your body. And then, um, and then I think just generally understanding if you're deficient in any kind of vitamin or nutrient, making sure that you're getting yeah. adequate amounts of that. Like that's what I would say more than anything else, um, that has made the difference. But it's also like not a cure. I I mean, I haven't seen a cure yet. I don't know a single person that's cured from long COVID. Maybe they exist. Um, In my communities, they don't. Everyone's like, oh, I'm 90% better. I'm like 95% better. But you're not like still a normal functioning person like you were before. You still have to be on guard and you have to be like managing the illness. It's like Mm. always sort of like in the back of my mind.
0: Yeah, I think as well, this again is just a belief that I have, and I have nothing to back it up except my own experience. But I do actually think if you've had COVID, just had COVID, it messes with your system. Oh, yeah. And things change in your body because there are certain things that happened to me. And okay, it could have been age, but I ended up getting sciatica. And I don't know Mm -hmm. why that happened. I'm pretty active. I'm mm-hmm. a yoga person. Yeah. I keep myself pretty healthy. And yeah. then it, within weeks of getting past like COVID, just I only had COVID. It was like a bad cold. It wasn't even that bad. I ended up with this inf- inflammatory disease on a nerve. It yeah. Just And I'm just not convinced mm-hmm. that it didn't, I don't know, Trigger it. Maybe I was prone to get it at some point, but I don't know. I'm just not convinced that it wasn't triggered by COVID. I mean, yeah, I, I think COVID, I mean,
1: the spike protein part of COVID is extremely inflammatory. Like, yeah. every. Everyone knows that. So if you have any sort of like weak place in your body, that's where it's going to go. I'm, for me, it went to my brain. <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> your like, brain is not is weak. You're an incredibly intelligent way. woman. Don't think of it like that. <laughs> Why did
1: it go to my brain? It might go to my vagus nerve of all places.
0: But, um, but the thing is, vagus nerve can be weak. Yeah, yeah. If you, and suffer, was, if you suffer with any type of like mental health disorder, particularly with anxiety, it could yeah. be very well that your um, parasympathetic nervous system isn't kicking in as well as what it should, because you're always in this state of like hypervigilance. So I will say that most
1: of the patients in the patient community that I, in the communities that I have been in for the last three years were overachievers, were people, a lot of athletes, like a lot of professional or semi-professional athletes or people like yoga teachers, Mm -hmm. um, or people who were like very, very active, like I, I'm. Ta- I mean, I. I can't. I won't reveal who's in these groups. But oh, like, course, no. No, people don't. who had some of the biggest companies you've ever heard of. Like, those are the kinds of people that are in some of my groups. And it's not. You know. <laughs> It, it's it's people who i think had a lot of stress in their lives and yeah. th- when they got sick and so their body just wasn't able to address the disease yeah. the way that it was for some people i mean that's my theory you know i'm seeing people who who were like professional runners or mountain bikers or like people who had real, really, really busy lives as executives and were managing a bunch of children and a bunch of responsibilities and a bunch of like social obligations. And just this happened to them and they were just leveled. And so I think it's also just a good message for everyone to be aware if you're stretching yourself too thin, if you do happen to get sick, there's you know you're you're more vulnerable to a post viral illness and we see this like ME CFS if you don't know what that is you should google it this is a post viral illness or syndrome that's been around for decades and it's extremely debilitating it's not the same i don't think as long covid but it's very similar mm-hmm. for, and it's usually people get that illness because they were you know, they got sick on a trip or something. They flew home. They kind of get better, and then a few weeks later, something happens, and their body starts to break down. And it might be for the rest of their lives. Wow! And that's like, <laughs> that's what happens. I think if your immune system is compromised, you just yeah. can't. It's like a very complicated. You're a complicated organism, and Wait, so no one, really no one really <laughs> knows. No one really knows what's going
0: on no yeah. one really knows uh another slightly random fact um which you may already know is that 70 to 80 percent of our immune cells uh reside in our gut as well yeah yeah so like gut health anyway sorry i don't mean to like sidetrack, no, no, that, but it just again like you're yeah, talking no, about I think it immune health systems is a lot. And, yep it's uh, yeah. yeah it's just interesting yep. yeah yeah Before we wrap up, Jenny, is there anything that you wish more people understood about living with long COVID? Just sort of the people who maybe don't have long COVID, do you feel like, I don't know, there's something that you wish that people kind of got a little bit better
1: I mean, I think that I'm much more sensitive to kind of invisible illness now than I was, like much more right. sympathetic. And I see it also like I in the United States, it's a disability and I don't have like a disability sticker in my car or something like that.
0: But Sorry, I think long it's, COVID it, is a disability.
1: It is. Yeah. In the United oh. States, it's a disability. Like you can file a claim and, you know, receive, receive um, permission not to work and get a check, right, so oh goodness, I, I, I don't know do that. that, but, right. but some people do, and a lot of people don't don't get accepted into that program, but it's an officially disability in the country. and um, I think I'm just much more sensitive to to like if you see somebody and maybe you know they have. I don't know placard in their truck, or they have a service animal, or you know they seem they look perfectly healthy, but they're using other resources. I just Mm -hmm. think be sensitive to that because we don't know what's going on in someone's body. We don't know what like it. It just opened my eyes to how diverse disability is and what it can look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And people who look completely normal and healthy and are seemingly completely normal and healthy, you don't know if their vision is compromised. You don't know if they're having like an internal tremor. You don't know. And so yeah. I think that just being sensitive, knowing it exists, it's like important to be educated around what people are experiencing because it it's like, who knows how many people have this or are going to have this after COVID. And the estimates are up to 30% of everyone who has had COVID could be impacted long-term like this in some way or another. Mm-hmm. So it's like a huge percentage of the human population that is really we're going to maybe see this materialize for them in one way or another. I don't know. And I don't know if it's for me. A lot of the groups I'm in were people who got the alpha wave or the Wuhan wave. And so, yeah. you know, it's like very obvious to us that like our illness came after that. We were all locked in our houses. Like we weren't getting anything else. And, um, but now I think maybe people don't know, like they got like a little bit of a COVID cold and they're, you know, two weeks later, they start to have these weird symptoms. They might not be putting it together. So just being, yeah educated and aware and sharing knowledge of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And empathetic towards other people when you can't see the symptoms or can't see what it is that is a disability. Like, yeah. Don't not believe them, you know, like be respectful kind of thing as well. Yeah. I think, and I think that's it. Like, you know, for such a long time, people didn't believe that people had long COVID. They were just like, no, a lot of people still don't
1: believe it. They think it's just like, Oh, people are, you know, feeling sorry for themselves or whatever. And I can say yeah. like, I don't know what constellation of whatever is going on in my body, but I can say that I never had any of this before yeah. and I want to be healthy and I work really hard to be healthy. So, um, it's not made up like it's not. <laughs> and, yeah. and I, and it's different and it also presents differently for different people. So it seems like it's made up, but it is, <laughs> but yeah. it is, it's something, something's going on. We just don't know what it is. Joe, can I just say one more thing? Cause I also sure. want to say, um, a lot of people also, and maybe this is gonna get your episode taken down, a lot of people did have negative impacts from being vaccinated with this that from these oh. COVID vaccines, right? Yeah. And um, even yeah. though I had my symptoms a year before being vaccinated, it didn't help. And I just I also have a lot of sympathy for people who were perfectly healthy and then, you know, did what they were asked by our society to do, got vaccinated, and then a lot of people are really sick from that too. And and those mm-hmm. symptoms are presenting a lot like long COVID as well. So that's what leads me to theorize that it's like somehow inflammation or damage from the spike protein itself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Can yeah. I share something about that? Yeah. Yeah. So my father, um, he's in his seventies admittedly, but my mom and dad are fairly healthy, pretty good for their age. He did all the right things, got the vaccine i think they actually got AstraZeneca right at the beginning um which i think then got pulled off the shelves i can't quite remember if it was that if it was that one anyway um he ended up with polymyalgia which is an inflammation of the muscles he has never had anything like that ever Mm -hmm. and then i i mean he it was i won't go into details of his experience but it wasn't great and he's okay now and he i think he's He's taking medication or he took medication or or whatnot, but another inflammatory disease. It's just really strange. And, I mean, my stories are limited on, on people who have had experiences from either having COVID or from having the vaccinations. But I think it is silly if people think stuff is that cut and dry. It's yeah, not, yeah. things don't fall it's- into a box. We, as you said, we don't understand our bodies that well. We try to, but we can't possibly understand what's going in.
1: Well, yeah. And just think about, I mean, for someone to become a doctor, I mean, we have general practitioners, but largely there's a lot of specialization and even for general practitioners, course, there's yeah. just like a, you know, they get whatever 20 hours of nutrition science in all of medical school in the yeah. United States. I don't know how it is in your country, but yeah, that, that is like very little, like, they just only have a certain universe of information that they know about? And um, I just think it's been an abomination that people who have been injured by this vaccine have been silenced or made to feel ashamed mm-hmm. or have been denied, you know, Mm, sympathy and treatment and acknowledgement that they were actually hurt. Um, a lot of the communities I'm in have welcomed those people and it's like, we're long COVID long haulers, but also like post vaccine long haulers are welcome too, and that's what mm. they're ca- they call themselves a lot of times or vaccine injured, which is a very inflammatory word, mm. um, that will get censored in lots of places. And so, I mean, the thing is, is like, if everybody got, these vaccines to try to be good citizens for humanity and trying to help. We shouldn't deny these people the f- their truth, which is that, you know, they, for whatever reason, yeah, this thing and that they did to help people or maybe hurt them. And some people
0: are like irreparably harmed. It's, <laughs> yeah. And it, that's terrible, but it's also silly to think that that can happen because if you read any prescribed packet of yeah paracetamol you have any medication there are always side effects do not whatever you do if you are on the contraceptive pill look at what the side effects are for that because well maybe look at it i don't know well i I would they're intense (laughs) they are intense yeah yeah you know like here you are being told you're doing the right thing by taking whatever medication it is it's going to either help your body prevent this help so and so you would be foolish to think that there are no side effects. There's a reason why they put the list of side effects on everything is because when they did the tests, they happened. So come on. I don't know. Like I feel, feel for those people who have been so deeply affected by the vaccinations. I really do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, it should be a part, a part of the public conversation. And I think the people who sort of make decisions around what gets censored and what doesn't, feel I think feel like we can't handle complexity and nuance mm-hmm. and that like that's part of living in a free society is that we get information and we can make decisions ourselves and have conversations about those complex issues mm-hmm. because otherwise it's just gaslighting people so mm-hmm. i mean i definitely i definitely think that's happening and mm. i think it's a tragedy and I think we need to have more open conversations around kind of modern medicine in general mm-hmm. and what is taken what we take for granted and what we just accept as given. Um I have a lot a lot of feelings about that and I think it's it's one of those areas where I feel like you risk losing friends or connection with family by even talking about this. Wow. And I think that's just devastating to us as a society that we've put this in a box where it's like we're not allowed to question it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No that is That is terrible. I think, yeah, it's like being able to access the information to be able to make your own decisions about things is incredibly important, but if the information isn't there or it's not so easily accessible, so, for example, I know that for you, you you have definitely gone and looked at research papers. Now the average person is probably – not going to do that. You know, they might read an article about it if somebody's done the work because research papers are difficult to read. I mean, unless you use AI to like yeah, decipher <laughs> the, the abstract, summary. Like I put, yeah, I put the abstract into like ChatGPT or, yeah. or art or something and, and then
1: ask it that's to great. explain it to me as if I'm 10 years old. Yeah. And then I go from there. I mean, think that's like one of the benefits of AI. But I also, there are a lot of doctors and scientists that have come forward to try to create like YouTube shows or podcasts that explain complicated concepts around the human body to, to their audience. So I also watch a lot. Like I I probably have like a medical school's worth of, time watching youtube videos like honestly after yeah. three and a half years like i just and i don't understand everything i just don't it's not And yeah. just i but just it gives don't. you
0: it gives you a nugget of information to then yeah. go and research more about it so that you can understand it if you're that yeah and i ask a interested. lot of questions
1: of course and That's i, and I try to to see doctors who i can ask questions too so again that gets to i think a question of privilege i've spent a lot of money in the last mm. three and a half years on this process. And so I'm also acutely aware that not everyone can do that. And yeah. it's come at, you know, it's come at a cost to my family and other priorities and, you know, like money decisions are big, but like, uh, t- at least $10,000 on, on care, at least oh gosh. Like, between medication, doctors visit supplements, like, research that programs. Jenny.
0: That's a lot of money.
1: It's a lot of money. And and I pay for health insurance, which I've for almost none of that was covered, right? So that's yeah. also like a problem with our what we decide it gets like covered by health insurance is also like these alternative therapies or doctors that are sort of willing to talk about things outside the box or not, insurance doesn't cover those things. Oh yeah. So like yeah that just yeah. gets to corruption, right? So I mean to me obviously like it's my life. I will do anything to pay yeah to get the money and to pay to to take care of myself like i have a yeah. family and i
0: i want to live be okay. i want to and wanna live. Be, i want to yeah. i want to have
1: a quality of life not yeah. just be bedridden right so yeah. to me that wasn't even a choice mm-hmm. um And some of that money was just like, you know, I had like experimental trials. I had to like pay to ship my blood, like vials of blood on it, on an express airplane that I had Mm -hmm. my husband had to flag down at the airport. Like these are crazy things that normal people wouldn't do. And yet we are living in a crazy time. Like (laughs) there's this like novel disease that may or may not have been made in a lab in Wuhan and bioengineered. And if it wasn't, it's still a crazy disease that we've never seen before. And yeah. so like, what are you going to do? What else can yeah. you do? Yeah. Exactly. So I just, I think most people, yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't research, wouldn't pay this kind of money. I mean, so many people I know have like drained, sold their house, like drained all of their resources, sold wow. everything, moved it back, moved in with relatives, like just to pay for their costs of their medical bills.
0: Yeah, so, I mean that's a different question and conversation. Yeah. As you said, that's a yeah. terrifying thing because you know in the UK we hear of these stories that happen in America like this. And oh like yeah, it's very like, you know, and <laughs> like medical bills and things. And you know, we're very privileged in the UK to have the NHS system, even though it is uh, like pushed to its limits, and the government are um, not doing maybe their best to fund it at all. Um, we still do have that to turn to in, in most cases, but the, just going back to the, 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 the privilege that you said you had for being able to spend this money, you are trying to share the information at least that you're getting so that it can help other people, like the people in the communities. And I think people also forget that the one thing I'm hearing a lot here is that while, um, of, like from you is like, while the medications and the, um, different things that you've tried have been, Very helpful in kind of bringing your body back to balance. For the most part, what seems to have had the best or the most significant effect has been these community groups that you've been able to connect with, so that you can talk to people that are yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, and share what you're going through.
1: And yeah, it's it's everything. That's how I even know what to try. I mean, my spreadsheet that's seventy lines long of like medicine and, and treatments and pharmaceutical, like different things is all taken from these. I mean, some of it is from doctor, like a, a couple, like maybe 10 of the lines are from doctors I've seen. Mm-hmm. And the other 60 lines of things that I've tried are, in the spreadsheet are all crowdsourced from people who are just sharing their experiences. And, you know, I'm talking about like a lot, probably people feel like that's really dangerous and maybe it is, but I'm trying things like vitamins and yeah, certain herbal I mean, teas. and like i'm <laughs> i mean it's it's like it's relatively low risk i think yeah. for most of it there are people though i'll just say this like some people in the in the united states are traveling to europe joe because we don't even have the treatments here a lot of these experimental treatments wow. so some people are there's one treatment that people some people have had some success with other people have ended up in the hospital with um that's in germany and it's like mm-hmm. you go there and you do like 18 sessions of afresis which is where they drain your blood and try to clean the spike protein out of your blood and then put it oh, back wow. into your body and you go for like months so people fly to germany rent a flat that is and stay there for insane. months while they're going and getting like hooked up to machine that like drains their blood and cleans it <gasps> you know, and that's like $30,000. I haven't done that. (laughs) And, um, and then even like hyperbaric oxygen treatment is like Mm -hmm. between one and $200 a time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the doctors will say, well, okay, go for 20 times. I mean, that's so much money.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's just like crazy. like none of this is covered really by health insurance. And so I don't know how it is in, in the NIA, NHS, NHS, yeah, NHS National system. Health Service. Yeah, but but like these kinds of alternative system. therapies are where people are really
0: a lot of people are seeing results. And like yeah, my, I'm, I'm those not sure are not probably covered. So I would anyway. be interested. So if anyone listening to this is going through long COVID, and they are based in the UK, I would genuinely be interested to hear about your experience with the UK healthcare system with regards to these treatments, because I don't have it. And so therefore, I'm not familiar with what they're actually doing to support people. Uh, So Jenny, we do need to wrap this up. This has been incredibly interesting. Is there any final things that you would like to mention?
1: No, just take care of yourself. I think just your health is ultimately up to you. It's up to each of us, right? So I think that's just my big message is like realizing that's the other big lesson of this is that like there's no system or higher figure or something that's gonna kind of swoop in and be this no magic pill yeah thing that takes care of me so it's like really it's up to each of us to take care of ourselves
0: awesome well thank you so much for being here it's been wonderful to chat with you today thank you joe As we wrap up today, I want to send a heartfelt thanks to Jenny for her courage and openness in sharing her journey with Long COVID. Her story is a brilliant reminder of the human element behind the statistics and also highlights the importance of education, empathy, and community support. Remember, every story matters, every experience matters. So let's make sure that we continue these conversations and together we can navigate these challenging times. With that said, if you you found today's episode useful and interesting click the like button and maybe even consider sharing this episode with friends or family who you think will find it as useful and as insightful as you have. Also, if you do want to keep up to date with any of my new episodes, subscribe to the channel turning notifications on. And remember, you can also listen via your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube. Radio. that is it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, peace and punk.